Welcome to the NICU Today podcast, a podcast to give families a new point of support as they navigate the NICU journey. Thank you for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe wherever you enjoy your podcast and share this episode with anyone who might find it helpful. Ashley Adams is licensed in Pennsylvania and New York as a clinical social worker. She has been passionate about working with infants and their parents for as long as she can remember. Ashley graduated with a master's degree in social work from the University of Pittsburgh with specializations in direct practice and integrated health. She's worked with new mothers and parents in community, hospital, and private practice settings in Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, and New York City. Ashley currently works in private practice and is a therapist for individuals and couples. She specializes in postpartum mental health and parenting. Ashley was a preemie herself and strives to advocate for NICU babies and their families. Welcome, Ashley. We're so happy to have you here today. Thank you, Martha. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, so tell us a little bit more about yourself and your passion for helping families. Sure. So I've really loved infants and their families for as long as I can remember since my mom tells me I was a baby myself. (laughs) Um, But yes, I was a preemie. I was born at 26 weeks in 1988. So I've heard for my whole life stories from my parents about the care they received. I was born at Harrisburg Hospital and just their recounting of their experience with the wonderful doctors, nurses, the support of other parents, and the fight of the babies. So as I continued on, and I was in childcare, I babysat, I nannied, and then through those experiences, I recognized the needs of the parents. I volunteered in NICUs, cuddling babies, but I would kind of watch the parents sitting worried and think to myself, wow, their their needs aren't always addressed. So that's what led me into social work and getting a background in integrated healthcare allowed me to work directly in medical settings and hospitals. And then I transitioned to clinical practice. So I was mentored through and received training through the postpartum stress center in Rosemont, Pennsylvania, where Karen Kleiman remains my mentor. So that kind of led me to the specialization in perinatal mental health. I wanted to ask you, with your parents sharing their experience of having you prematurely in 26 weeks in the 80s, Mm -hmm. that was early, okay? But did they see a gap in care? I mean, what was missing for them back then? Right. I actually, I spoke to my mother just to kind of have her recount her experience again all those years later. She said there was a great deal of support from staff, but she did say her acute needs and my father's, they they just weren't addressed. So for example, feeding, right? Whether the baby is formula fed or breastfed, just the the separation that parents can experience from their babies especially mothers it can just cause it causes a lot of distress so she remembers really wanting to breastfeed but she wasn't really guided um she wasn't really kind of treated in 
a supportive way to adjust how she wanted to as a mother. So she said that was really difficult. And also going home without your baby every Mm -hmm. night, really just the acute needs of parents are often missed. And, you know, hearing that story and then looking at the work that you are doing today, helping families and helping NICU families in particular, where do you see the biggest challenges for parents as they're going through this journey? So I really see when you have a baby in the NICU, no matter what is going on, your journey as a parent at the beginning is so vastly different than what we know is the norm. So you're kind of primed right away to really the technology happening in the NICU. The way you focus on your baby is like, what what did their heart rate do last night? Did they have any D cells? You're listening to the monitors at all times. You're hearing the beeps, the hums. You're adjusting to holding your baby full of tubes, um, different ways of feeding. So parents get primed to kind of that way of thinking, which can also lead to a lot of anxiety, especially when they bring the baby home, because all of that is gone. And they've been, they've really just been kind of fixated on that way of thinking. There's also a little bit of a protective factor to the baby being in the NICU, right? It's round the clock care. So even though there's hardships and there's loss and there's struggle, there's also a safety net. And when you go home, you don't have that anymore. While our listeners can't see, Ashley, I have a smile on my face and I keep nodding over here because yes, to everything that you are saying, I mean, it's taking me back. (laughs) 13 years to when we were sitting in the NICU and I still remember the nurses, they would say, stop looking at the monitor. You have to look at the baby. You have to look at the baby, but you do, it is so different. And, you know, for us, it was, we were first time parents had twins at 23 weeks and five days and our surviving twin Claire continued to fight was very, very sick. Um, but losing our daughter, Mary, I mean, it is traumatic and, and all that you go through. So it is a, it's such a different way to start parenthood or even to Mm -hmm. experience welcoming a baby. But all that you said is so true. And they did have to kick us out when it was our day to go home. We just kept hanging out. We got pizza for everybody. They, they were like, no, no, you can go home. We went, are you sure? Are you (laughs) sure? You know, are you, are you sure you're sending us home with Claire? Uh, but that is important and appreciate you sharing all of that. When, when you meet with families, you're talking about the stress, the anxiety, the struggles. When you talk to NICU parents and they share with you how they feel like they're going through all of these struggles of welcoming mm-hmm. a new baby, maybe first time parents, sleep deprivation, the guilt. We talk to so many parents say, I feel like I need to be in the NICU 24 hours a day, but I also am trying to heal myself and to get mm-hmm. better. The birth trauma, perhaps that the families went through and, uh, PTSD, feeding issues, breathing issues, so many different things. What's your advice for them? So first of all, they are not alone, right? Fortunately or unfortunately, because this is so prevalent, all of those issues can directly lead to adverse mental health for the parent. So these are real lived experiences for parents. And 
what I'm trying to prevent is oftentimes I see clients seeking me out years later because they didn't recognize the impact that all of these things had on them. And they feel guilty for describing their birth as a trauma, or they feel, they feel guilty for crying every day and worrying about their baby. So really, I, I want them in the therapeutic space, right, individually or as a couple, I essentially wrap them in a big hug in the therapeutic space. I want to create a place where they can be their most vulnerable and authentic selves with me to tell me these thoughts are scaring me, these intrusive thoughts. I feel guilty. I'm losing myself. Who am I anymore? Who are we as a couple? So that's what I try to create in the therapeutic space. But also, I want them to know there are so many things out there for them now, right? We're, we're really pushing in the perinatal mental health space to make it, it's a specialization now with therapy, which it wasn't before. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even recognized in the late 80s. That's when my mentor, Karen, started knocking on doors and finding women. And sometimes they were in their 70s recounting their mental health postpartum. So I also let them know of the resources available. There are support groups. There's today is a good day. There's the Women's Emotional Wellness Center through Mainline Health. There's Postpartum Support International, where you can literally find support groups of any kind in the parenting space. So I, on a micro level, I, I wrap them in a warm hug and we get through it. I tell them, you're not always going to feel this way. I'm not going to let you. But I also want them to know what's out there for them. Mm -hmm. And you are not alone is so important. I just said that to a parent not too long ago mm -hmm. that I spoke to because we, as a fellow lost parent, uh, new to that experience and to that journey, we've lost two of our children. And I, I said to her, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. Others have gone through this. You are going to get through this as well just right. like we have. And so right. that is such an important piece. You did bring up something that I think is really important talking about struggles that uh, couples can have during this journey. And I know my husband and I talked about a lot, our experience through the NICU, uh, losing our daughter, Mary, Claire being in the NICU three and a half months, that could have made or break, broken us at the time. And not knowing what Claire's future looked like all the time we invested. And then we lost a son to trisomy 18, mm -hmm. eight years after that. Mm -hmm. And so again, that, that partnership of trying to navigate through those very, very challenging times, you know, what, how do you help couples to realize that they might need some extra support or how do they navigate through those challenges as a unit together? Right. That's, it's such a good point because actually recently I read that up to 60% of couples who have babies in the NICU end up divorcing. So it's a high divorce rate even compared to the national average, right? And I think what happens is it is so overwhelming for both people and your emotions are ahead of you. Like you can't even catch up to them. So as a couple, it's really easy to become ships passing in the night because 
the focus is is on the baby babies. Uh, for you, Martha, going through the loss of your daughter at that time, right? You're dealing with multiple layers of grief, loss, trauma, hope, fear. And your husband was probably going through the same. So oftentimes we see with partners, what a lot of people don't know is one in seven women can have a postpartum diagnosis. So postpartum depression is is becoming more of an umbrella term, but perinatal, a perinatal mood disorder. So anxiety, depression, et cetera, but one in 10 men. So we often do not recognize or see that. And the symptoms can manifest in different ways. So for women, what you're seeing, they are separated from their baby. Their hormones are fluctuating. They're trying to feed. Most women have intrusive thoughts in the postpartum period. So scary thoughts, safety of the baby, wanting to escape, all of that. But for men, it can manifest a little differently and a little more subtly. So fixation on finances, feeling like they have to get back to work and provide for the family. Safety of the baby, like, oh my gosh, how am I supposed to drive this baby in the car eventually? Or if they're in the NICU, what do we need to look for today? Um, Withdrawing, right? Or it may seem like they're not either participating or they're distancing themselves, but it's because they're grappling with their own emotions. So first of all, for the couple, You've got to create an openness to each other to just try to describe what each of you are feeling. I think oftentimes because it's so stressful, it manifests as arguments, irritability, shutting down from each other and distancing from each other. When in reality, you're both hurting, like you are both hurting, you're both scared. So trying to create a check-in space for each other and just say, hey, I'm here. This is hard. General statements, right? Instead of leading statements. But then also couples think seeking couples therapy means they're over. And no, the best time to seek couples therapy is when you love each other, but you're going through a really hard time. So get a third party in there to be like, hey guys, you're both, you're both struggling. I'm here for both of you. Like, let's regain a connection. It doesn't have to look the same as pre-baby because right now it's really hard. But Mm -hmm. let's understand each other. Let's meet each other where you are both at. And And if... Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. But if you see some of those symptoms too, you know, a lot of people, and we've talked about this on several previous episodes of the mm-hmm. podcast, but I think it's so important. People don't know where to start. So they go, okay, well, well I'm going to take the leap. I'm going to, I'm my, my, my partner and I, my husband and I, we are going to go and speak with a, a therapist and get that started, but I don't even know where to start. And so insurance is a great place. You can look at your insurance provider mm-hmm. and who might be covered. But is it also just looking around your region and trying to find find someone? Right. I mean, I think that's so key because I'm, some NICUs do provide resource lists. But again, it is that gap in care type of thing. I think we do need better follow-up somehow, like whether it's a care navigator or if they connect with you, right? outreach, like, hey, you're you're home now. Um, don't forget, 
these things are here for you. But yes, insurances will tell you who covered therapists are. I'm connected with the Postpartum Stress Center. They have an amazing website and it navigates exactly how you can access a therapist. Talking in support groups, things like Postpartum Support International. A lot of people find me looking on psychology today and you can type in postpartum issues, couples issues, parenting, and you're led to somebody like me. So pretty simple ways, but I think we need to just remind parents that they're out there. Mm -hmm. And also hospitals also have some support groups, some rainbow baby support groups, Mm -hmm. lost bereavement support groups. I know several of our hospital partners have those opportunities available for families too. Right. So it's there. It's just, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes couples get into a sea of overwhelm and then they want to seek something out, but it's really hard to take the step. So having supportive organizations like yours can remind them, like boost Mm -hmm. them a little bit to get the care. Well, you brought up a good point and it was a great segue into gaps in care. So seeing Mm -hmm. the coming home from the NICU and just figuring out where you go from there. But where do you see, Ashley, the gaps in care for parents kind of during and after the NICU? Right. I think it is, so much of it is follow-up. And I always rack my brain for like, could there be more of a, a patient navigator role? Or sometimes hospitals will call, right? At least once after discharge, somebody will, like a care coordinator, care manager to talk about the discharge. And that could be an opportunity to concretely remind parents of resources. I also think the transition is just so incredibly difficult for parents. Because again, you're going from a safety net of sorts to zero. So it's like who who could, it it would almost be good if if somebody could come in the home for like a a visit or so. But I think being realistic, it's, it's reminding parents what's out there for them through, from the hospital, from organizations around to let them know, okay, these are the steps you need to take next to access. But Mm -hmm. I think it's very, it's just unsettling for parents to all of a sudden be launched home. And you're starting the newborn phase from the time they're discharged from the NICU. So maybe they're three and a half, three and a half months old, but you are starting. So I think two recommendations would be accept, accept support from families, from family, from friends, create your village, open yourself up to your village. And I think through that type of support, talking to other parents, seeking out even groups sometimes on social media, they can, the good part about it is they can really connect you to community resources. Well, I would also say that coming home, the additional layer of stress can be managing through family and friends. And again, we've talked about this a lot, but bringing home a medically complex child, um, a child that has a high risk of respiratory infection, RSV, and trying to navigate through family members who would want to come see a newborn, right? Quote unquote, coming home from the NICU. 
But we say all the time, you make choices that work best for your family mm -hmm. because you are the one that is going to be with your child. So if your child gets sick, it's not the aunt, uncle, grandparent, or otherwise, most likely who's going to be in the urgent care or in the hospital with your right. child. It's going to be you with a respiratory illness. It's uh, you that's managing through all of that. So it's okay for you to say, you know what, we're not ready for visitors for another couple weeks. We, we got to come home and get settled and be okay with that. So it's so important for you to be able to advocate for yourself. I know that's something that we've talked to families a lot about over the years. We didn't take Claire out for several months before she came home. She came home right in the middle of winter, right in the middle mm -hmm. of RSV season. And her first outing was around spring, early May, mm -hmm. that we really took her out into, into a crowd because that's what worked for us. That might not be for everybody, but that's how we felt about it. And we had limited visitors that came in. But again, just so important to to make sure that you're doing what works for your family. Right. And I was going to highlight that because, again, you can you can accept support in ways that are comfortable. So maybe mm -hmm. it's, hey, it would just be so helpful if you drop a meal on my porch. Yes. And no matter what, when babies come home, it's this interesting thing, but when people come to visit, it's very much they want access to the baby. And sometimes parents and mothers, no matter preemie or not, they need the help. They want to be with their baby. So setting boundaries is totally fine. And the people who care about you will recognize that. So mm -hmm. yes, you have you can accept support and you can access support in ways that feel comfortable to you. And it is okay to be really specific about what that looks like. So what is your biggest piece of advice for NICU parents? So the biggest advice is do not hold your struggles in. So many people just squash them down. And then oftentimes I see, a year, two years later, they are still suffering. They're acutely suffering. And all of this is so manageable. Whether or not you have an official postpartum mental health diagnosis or just adjusting, this is hard. It's okay to say it's hard. It's okay to say, I need help, right? So, the reason why people like me are going into this field is because I want to access you soon. I want to access you soon. So like the, the second you're feeling really those waves of overwhelm, the disconnection with your partner, the not knowing how to navigate feeding issues, the flashbacks of your birth, right? That's the time. That's the time to say, hey, I just need, I need some support. It do, It is not weakness. It's actually strength. And you can get feeling better so much faster. So you can adjust to having this teeny little baby with a lot of needs home with you and having that time with them. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that important advice. And uh, want to offer our listeners the opportunity to find more about you, about the Postpartum Stress Center. So tell us where they can find more information. 
Sure. So right now they can find me on psychology today and I, Martha, I will share a direct link with you that anyone can seek me out and, and book a session with me. So I'll make sure you have that for when your families ask for additional resources. Okay. Wonderful. Can't thank you enough. We really appreciate your feedback, your insights, and thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to the NICU Today podcast brought to you by Today is a Good Day. Learn more at todayisagoodday.org.